This is Tony Burns. And this is Scott Burns coming to you once again <laughs> from the crooked little house in Deadwood, South Dakota. On this episode of Love in America, we're going to go east. New York, New York. <laughs> Are we going to sing? I'm not. Not with my cold. No. Yeah, that's why I sound so fabulous. It's no, not it's, the whiskey and cigarettes. It's, it's husky. Oh, it's husky. Sultry. Yeah, yeah like Marlena Dietrich. I'd right. like to be alone. Oh, she's going to play into one of these stories. We've Get out! I didn't even know that. Yay! Well, we started out on our journey to New York as a journey of understanding. Mm-hmm. Because New York and South Dakota sensibilities are a little different. They're very different places. (laughs) And part of our mission has always been to reach out through love to get Mm -hmm. people to understand places and lifestyles and people and ways of being that may not be really accessible to you. Right. Or may not be your style. Mm -hmm. But the more that we learn about each other and the more we talk to each other, the better chance we have of understanding. Even if we decide we're not going to go live in New York and New Yorkers decide they're not going to come live in Sioux Falls. Well, who knows why? Or (laughs) Deadwood. Yeah, there, th- we can at least start to understand a little bit about the other person, right. like you said, through what? That underlying current of love. Right. Um, we came across a story on, a, of all things, a Sioux Falls rock website, a, uh-huh. a, a music website, B102.7, got to give them a little plug there. Uh, and the name of this, the title of the article is, New York Times comes to South Dakota during winter. <laughs> Good choice, guys. <laughs> and, the, and the tagline after that is, wonders where all of the tourists are. <laughs> well, they're back in New York. I they're would. <laughs> in New York or they're somewhere warmer like Florida or Arizona. Yeah, that one cracked me up. Well, apparently this New York journalist was sent out by, by the New York Times magazine to the upper Midwest to write a report on Mount Rushmore <sighs> during the dead of winter. <laughs> okay, well, it is so, still there, but uh, the boys have icicles hanging exactly, off of their faces on, exactly. on the mountainside. And, and I'm guessing his boss did not know um, what winters were like out here mm-hmm. or the fact that that is so far off season of what you would think of as a touristy area. But it's not like there's not stuff to do here. <laughs> Maybe he was trying to save on the hotel rates. <laughs> well, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. But there's a lot of cool stuff. You can go skiing, snowboarding. Skajoring. Skajoring. We have the canine keg pole coming up out Ex- here. Ice fishing, which hopefully is not involved with the canine keg pole. Right. <laughs> But what we don't tend to do in South Dakota during sub-zero weather is um, go stand outside in, in the cold and look at Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. We freeze. No, we save that for New Yorkers. Exactly. Or summer. <laughs> yeah. And, so, I mean, the poor guy, he was he went through rapid. He said it was just completely empty. And then he made a point I didn't know. Did you know that South Dakota is the 17th largest state in the country? But we only have the 46th largest population. (laughs) So there's lots of room in between people. Right. You don't don't have to bump shoulders if you don't want to. No. No. (laughs) So, I mean, they tried to go. A a friend of theirs had recommended a really good place to eat near Mount Rushmore and Mm -hmm. Keystone, which was closed. (laughs) Too bad. There's some good spots in Keystone. There's some great spots. But again, it's more of a summer tourist town like yep. Deadwood is. Unless you're going in the, in the the on the weekends and there's an event. Uh-huh. Like, or, or you're snowmobiling. Or you're snowmobiling or you're sh- snowshoeing because you can do the hiking out here in snowshoes or, too. Or filming like a Jeremiah Johnson movie. Or... The, okay, I don't think he was doing that. <laughs> but as, as a travel writer, doing travel in South Dakota, thinking summer travel, mm-hmm. not the way to go. <laughs> 
but it does have a happy ending. He beat the traffic? Yes, yes. (laughs) And they also got to go through Custer State Park, where they got to see a bunch of buffalo and our borough family out there, which survived the last year's uh, fire. Mm -hmm. So, and the good news about that is because it was so cold, we didn't have to warn them, don't get out of your car to touch the buffalo. (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, they stayed in their warm car and watched the buffalo. For those of you that don't know, we have to put... (laughs) We have to put up signs next to the roads and say, Buffalo are dangerous. Do not approach. Because inevitably, somebody tries to take a selfie. Yep. At least once a year, we have some Buffalo incident where someone tried to take a selfie yep. and went to pet them. And it's they like, find uh-huh. out that the Buffalo will use all the whole human. They don't yes. waste any part of it. <laughs> So when all was said and done, this lovely writer for the radio station, Jeff did invite Sam to come back out to South Dakota to see it's all of its glory, but perhaps to wait until mm, you don't need a park up. Sure. <laughs> but you're always welcome. But you're always welcome. And stop by Deadwood. We'll get you a nice hot toddy and uh-huh. show you some of the fun stuff to do out here that you can do yep. in the dead of winter. <laughs> and a couple of the shops that are open and have yes. half off Sturgis shirts. Exactly. <laughs> Or three for ten. <laughs> so that brief segue into New York's version of South Dakota. Um, and, and reaching out across cultures, yes. which is, uh, you know, we're going to reach out from here into some other stories that deal with New York, starting with a couple that we interviewed in Ticonderoga, New York. Yes. Oh, upstate. Upstate New York. Best barbecue in the world up which there, was, we yep. found. <laughs> outside Cooperstown. Yep, outside. The, oh, my gosh, that was amazing. <laughs> where the Baseball Hall of Fame is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but we were in Ticonderoga and interviewing Jim Colley. Yes. The, our, the Star Trek Elvis at mm-hmm. the Star Trek original series set yeah. tour. We'll and, link that on the site. And then we found another great restaurant, even though they didn't do barbecue. <laughs> it was a cafe. It was a bakery and cafe. Libby's. Libby's Bakery Cafe. Mm-hmm. And that's where we got to meet. Andrew and Katie, who were going to have some uh, funny uh, background <laughs> to their relationship, but also some, in, some real insight into what it takes to run a business together as, yes. as a married couple. As a married couple. We're also going to uh, branch out into a lifestyle that is much different than anything that we understand, which mm-hmm. is the reason why you explore it. Yes. And a New York-based relationship that uh, dealt with commitment in a little bit different way than we're maybe used to. Yeah. And which made it a bit of a challenge and mm-hmm. all the more reason to do it. And this right. is the love story of actor Kirk Douglas and his wife, Anne. Ooh, I can't wait to hear that one. And then we we also have from Pennsylvania to New York, Maria Rodale. Name sound familiar? Is that the Rodale Institute? Yes! Really? My organic gardening uh-huh. guru. I love the Rodale Institute. You're, you're quivering. I am. I'm all a quiver. I'm all a quiver. Anyhow, Maria wrote a lovely piece that we're going to be featuring in Friends and Lovers called Why I Love New York City. And she'll teach us why. Exactly. And, and how. And how. <laughs> And hopefully we'll return the favor and teach you how to love South Dakota. (laughs) In the summer or in the winter with the proper attire. (laughs) We're going to get to all that coming up on Love in America. You're on the road with us across yep. some amazing country uh, all yep. through upstate New York into the town of Ticonderoga. Yep, beautiful, breathtaking area. We visited the Fort Ticonderoga and Lake mm-hmm. Champlain. Didn't yes, see Champ. Didn't see Champ. I'm so sad. <laughs> we didn't call first and let him know we were coming. That's true. That's true. You've got to reserve these things. <laughs> 
And afterward, we're very fortunate to have met uh, the owners of Libby's Cafe and mm-hmm. Bakery, Andrew and Katie. Yep, walked into this place and started chatting with them, and their rapport with each other was so funny. And just to talk to them, they are very different people. Mm-hmm. They have very different views on life, but because they love each other, they found a way to come together and coexist, even with these very differing views. And all I could think when we were chatting with them was, I wish everybody could do that. I think that's a great goal to work towards, that you don't have to agree with somebody mm-hmm. to love them and to get along with them. I was very, very different from what you had kind of pictured your mate would be like because he was very um, very outdoorsy. He's an outdoor educator, you know, he's cross-country skiing, he's whitewater rafting, he's canoeing, he's cycling, he's doing everything at the extreme level. I'm going for a walk with my dog and then going home and taking a bubble bath. That is my strenuous. And that uh, sort of link between being so different, it mm-hmm. didn't take a long time to gel between them because they mm-hmm. also, outside of that sense of New York diversity, right? they also have that very sort of, even though it's upstate, they still have that New York, don't waste my time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, exactly. Let's get, let's get to the let's point Let's get here. to the point of this. <laughs> we both had um, a lot of baggage because of our previous relationship. So we both kind of hefted those bags out, dumped them on the table and looked at each other and said, do you want to stay or do you not want to stay? We true. figured if you can't get through this, why waste the time? I don't do waiting on the man very well. Would you agree? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> So once, you know, once you've put your baggage on the table and done all that deep, serious talking, there's a lot of really deep, important things that, that this couple seem to really agree on. You know, like love songs. Sort of. To a point. <laughs> the Beatles, hands down. What you mean is love? Is yeah, that's totally what I was thinking. I don't know. I would probably think like a really nice classical background. You know, not necessarily a specific name that I can think of, but just a really good symphonic instrumental something that That's sets your love the mood. Song? Yes, it's more of a mood song. Oh, it's the mood of love. It's the mood of love, <laughs> yes. Obviously, you know, they, they've learned to make it work, but it almost didn't happen because of the circumstances behind how they first met. You mean the challenge of red wine and allergies that ended up a Harlequin romance cover? <laughs> I was managing a bakery in Lebanon, New Hampshire, and Carly went to the owner and did an interview and he hired her. And so he's, you know, telling me about this glorious giant man. And I said, okay, all right, Tyler, you drag this giant man out of the woods and we'll see. The four of us got together for Christmas for a few days. I came in early to help cook and things. And um, and I started, of course, drinking while we were cooking. And I'm allergic to sulfites. And sulfites are in red wine. So needless to say, by the time she got there, I was really snockered. I was none too impressed. (laughs) I bought a lamb roast because I'm a chef. I take cooking seriously. So I picked up a lamb roast and Carly and I have cooked this beautiful meal. And he like slurs his way through the stuffing and then falls asleep on his cot where the dog is like sitting there with his face in Andy's face. And so we took the flowers out of the vase on the table and put them on on him because he looked like a corpse laying there on his cot. How did you get from that to let's spend the rest of our lives together? Uh, 
Well, it started with the next morning. I started making breakfast and I was shirtless. So, you know, I was shirtless in the kitchen making breakfast and made this elaborate like pancake egg fanciful breakfast. No, with like homemade yogurt that he brought from the farm and he made me French press coffee and engaged me in an actual conversation. And then I said, oh, all right, there is a brain in there. <laughs> When you're not only in a marriage, but in a business together, right. you've got to learn to get along. So they could almost finish each other's sentences, or at least try to, like they did when we asked them, what are the three words needed for a healthy long-term relationship? Communication, a sense of humor, and... Um... Stamina? <laughs> 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 but part of their relationship too, and, and this is an added dynamic that we mm -hmm. really wanted to throw in is, uh, you know, running a business together yes. adds a, another layer of learning to make it work right. into a relationship. Right. And not only do they run the relationship together, they run the business together. Mm -hmm. And because it's so intrinsically important to them, and, and they had mm -hmm. some really interesting things to say about why that business, yes. why here, and yes. what it means to them. Yes. When we first started dating I had mentioned that I had always wanted to be a barista it, it was more like I would go rock climbing and then be a barista to pay for the rock climbing that's kind of how that was working but then she took that as oh really you want to be a barista <laughs> let's open up a store together where you can be the barista careful what you ask for I know I know it's crazy whenever I think back about really wonderful experiences almost all of them have taken place over a really good plate of food, and that means that I am here helping facilitate that for people, and I feel like that's pretty important. That I think we've really become a part of the town. People like to play music in our store. There's a knitting group. A huge handful of people have said that you are a gem in this town, and don't leave, don't go anywhere, and just the feeling of that we are creating this space that people are really cherishing and appreciating is yes. really nice. It makes all of the work that we've put in yes. keeping this place alive worth it when someone says that, you know, like, this place wouldn't be the same if you weren't here, you know? Yeah. All I could think when An Andrew made the comment about uh, wanting to be a barista and, and her going, well, let's open a store. It's like, let's put on a show. <laughs> But they're very incredibly committed, not just to the store, obviously, but right. to each other. And so we had to ask them that classic question of, you know that person that wants to write a book or that wants to do fill in the blank and says, well, I don't know or I'm afraid to do it. One, one day I will. One day I will. And we asked them, well, how do you cross over one day I will to doing it? Mm -hmm. And they had some really good insight. What would you say to people that are afraid to try? Mm -hmm. There's going to be a little bit of time where it scares you. You're going to be stagnant in everything, not just your career if you sit back because you're afraid. And then the, the self-appreciation and the self-confidence you gain after you complete something that scared the shit out of you makes you grow as a person. You're not going to grow if you aren't scared. The, the question we asked to have the couple look at each other and tell each other why they love each other, because we don't do it often enough. We say, I love you, without giving the reasons why. And they had some great reasons why. Uh, your sassiness. <laughs> of course your food. Uh, your love for animals and how that expanded to our, our family, which I do really, really love. 
even though we now have two dogs, four cats, and ten chickens. <laughs> um, constantly taking care of my chickens for me. Um, telling me I can do it when I don't think I can do it. Telling me I'm brave and getting me into the canoe. And then giving me like I'm Chloe a million treats because I got myself into the canoe. <laughs> I, I gotta say, it, it was a treat oh for my us. Oh you, you mean a bakery treat? A, bakery a sweet treat. treat. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to spend that time with Andrew and Katie. And for if you happen to be going through Ticonderoga, remember it's Libby's. Libby's Bakery Cafe. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll put a link up to Libby's on the website and yep. uh, so you can swing by there. And we are going to swing through a quick break and we will be right back with an unusual Hollywood classic love story hmm. of actor Kirk Douglas and his wife Anne. Coming up on Love in America. Whoa, oh, oh, when there's love, love, love. Have you ever thought about all the things that wouldn't exist without you? Yes, actually, I have. Really? Yeah, especially our children. <laughs> yeah, well, your birthday party would be pretty meaningless. Yep, yep. Some people think the universe itself wouldn't exist if you weren't here to experience it. Oh, that's... But we know we wouldn't exist without you. And that's where you come in. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on Love in America, mm -hmm. you can support us at... Patreon.com slash Love in America. We need you. And you need us. And together, <laughs> we make the universe exist. Welcome back to <laughs> New York, South Dakota. <laughs> you know, we have everything else South Dakota. I wouldn't be surprised if we had a New York, South Dakota. Yep. <laughs> it's probably the county seat somewhere. <laughs> But, uh, you know, places and lifestyles that we may not understand become more relatable when we look at what we have in common first. Okay. And so what we have here is a love story, of course, but it's one that defined commitment a little differently okay. than the way we do, which made it a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so I started out this tale of Kirk and Ann Douglas with something easy, like a man who needs no introduction. <laughs> and... <laughs> That's probably still true for our older listeners who grew up watching him in, you know, Spartacus and 20,000 Leagues, playing uh, Van Gogh in the movie Lust for Life. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, he actually got major flack for that from one of his best friends, John Wayne. Uh-huh. And John Wayne hated that movie. Really? And he actually told Douglas after the screening, he said, Christ, Kirk, I can't do a John Wayne. That's okay. <laughs> How can you play a part like that? There's so few of us left. We've got to play strong, tough characters, not those weak queers. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, you know, Douglas totally mystified Wayne when he tried to explain to him. He said, it's all make-believe, John. It isn't real. You're, you're not really John Wayne, you know. <laughs> but for those of us that grew up in the uppermost reaches of Gen X, mm -hmm. we knew him mostly as Michael Douglas's father. Yes. You know, Michael Douglas from Wall Street and Fatal Attraction, mm -hmm. Jewel of the Nile. But even those films are now decades behind uh -huh. us. So some of our millennial and younger listeners might not know either one. So let's go ahead and introduce Kirk Douglas. <laughs> 
as an Oscar-winning leading man from the movie industry's golden age in the 50s and 60s. And, you know, he's really the last of that breed. All the mm-hmm. other leading men, John Wayne, Robert Mitchum, Brando, Burt Lancaster, yep. those guys are long gone. And Kirk Douglas himself has just turned 100 years old. Oh my gosh, he's still around? He is. Holy cow! <laughs> the fact that he says shocks him every day. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the early years of that century didn't suggest stardom. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was born Isser Danielovich. He went by Izzy. Oh, and he was really? One, he was one son among seven daughters born to poor Yiddish-speaking Russian Jews oh my gosh. in Amsterdam, New York. And the family's income came from Douglas's father selling scraps from a horse and buggy. Okay. Now, Douglas's ticket out of that little persecuted ethnic Jewish enclave was supposed to be his aptitude for Hebrew studies. And the community had planned to pool their money to send him to rabbinical school. Oh, my gosh. Anti-Semitism, by the way, was something Douglas is going to deal with throughout his career, right. which is one of the reasons he changed his name to such an obviously not yeah, I Jewish didn't. Name. I had no idea. But Douglas said that he already knew by second grade that he wanted to be an actor after playing a shoemaker in a school play and receiving his first Oscar, an ice cream cone from his usually cold <laughs> and distant father. Now, later, a friend returning from college after his freshman year urged Douglas to go back with him to college in the fall. Mm-hmm. And so Douglas left Amsterdam, New York with $163, decent high school grades, and uh-huh. a little natural charm that he hoped was going to get him in the door. The two men hitchhiked the entire way, including riding a fertilizer truck on the last leg. Okay. The smell of which compromised that charm a little bit. <laughs> But Douglas earned his enrollment with a loan he repaid by working odd jobs, including one at a summer playhouse in the Adirondacks, where he met a fellow actor, an immigrant's son, who had changed his name from George Sekulovich to Carl Malden. Really? (laughs) And he suggested that Izzy change his name to Mm -hmm. Kirk Douglas. By the way, Malden later, of course, would star with Michael Douglas in the 70s cop show Streets of San Francisco. Uh Now, that knack for meeting people on their way up in show business carried over past Douglas's graduation in 1939 when he won a scholarship to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and made a friend in Betty Joan Persky who later would become known as Lauren Bacall. Oh my gosh. And she would use her pull after starring opposite Humphrey Bogart to hook Douglas up with Hal Willis, the producer who gave him his first major break in film. Mm -hmm. That was 1946's The Strange Loves of Martha Ivers with Barbara Stanwyck. Okay. Now Lauren Bacall, incidentally, would also end up being one of the very few women that Douglas failed to seduce. <laughs> not, not from any lack of effort. I was going to say, not for lack of trying, I'm sure. <laughs> now, producer Wallace afterward demanded that Douglas sign a seven-year contract, which mm-hmm. he refused, and he was terminated. Oh. And he turned down the next major film offer he received, this big-budget, surefire movie with Ava Gardner and Gregory Peck, Okay. which flopped. But the role he chose instead, a boxer in 1949's Champion, yes. brought him his first Oscar nomination for Best Actor and established wow. him as a bona fide movie star. Right. And living up to the movie's most famous line, I'm not going to be a hey you all my life. Uh-huh. I want to hear people call me Mr. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Mr. Douglas. <laughs> 
would go on to five decades of film, including, of course, Spartacus, Tough Guys with right. his best friend, Burt Lancaster, mm-hmm. uh, The Final Countdown, War Wagon. You can go on and on with Douglas's yeah, I was going to say, career. look him up on Wikipedia and start Netflixing it because these yep. are worth seeing. Now, it was during the filming of 1953's Act of Love that Douglas first met Ann Bidens on the okay. set in Paris because he'd asked the director for a bilingual publicist. Oh. And he suggested his friend Anne, who at the time was married to, in her words, a Belgian friend she'd married during World War II for safety reasons because she'd been born in Hanover, Germany. Oh, I didn't realize and that. And she escaped uh, Nazism by moving to Belgium. Okay. Now, already divorced when Michael's mother, Diana, had left him, Kirk was at the time secretly engaged oh. to Italian actress Pierre Angeli. But of course, he was also entertaining various Parisian women and thereby the entire <laughs> Paris press corps on the side. And Jelly, by the way, she used to bring her mother along on all their dates because either she or her mom had Douglas Pegg. <laughs> For, for the playa that he was. He was a playa. In the midst of all this, Douglas invited Anne to the posh movie trailer he called The Lion's Den. Okay. And when she showed absolutely no interest in becoming a conquest, he changed tack and invited her to dinner instead, thinking, well, I'll take this young beauty to dinner at the most romantic and expensive uh-huh. restaurant in Paris, La Tour d'Argent. Uh, she's sure to approve of my taste and my ability to get a last-minute reservation. Well, Anne declined the offer. Oh my gosh. Telling Douglas she was going to go home and make herself some scrambled eggs instead. Oh my gosh. And she'd be too tired to visit him later. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I like her already. Now, Douglas told one interviewer that his first thought was, you bitch. <laughs> She was the most difficult woman I ever met. I mean, I was a big Hollywood star. But the fact that I didn't impress her certainly impressed me. Right. And I was determined to win her over. So with no lion's den in the future Uh and the attraction of this beautiful woman he couldn't impress with his fame, he reconciled himself to a platonic relationship in which he stopped talking about himself and Mm -hmm. started listening to her. Well, that's a novel idea. (laughs) It was for him at the time. (laughs) And out of that, a friendship grew that made room for something more later. Mm -hmm. As his, you know, that willingness to change and show her he was more than a Hollywood face won her over. Particularly after a moment when they went to a charity gala together held at a circus, and Douglas happily jumped down and helped scoop elephant dung while dressed in a tuxedo. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) And she said it was not only funny, it was showing me that he was able to do things that weren't expected of him. Right. Anne began spending romantic weekends and holidays with Kirk, even though she knew the dangers of falling for a leading man. And Douglas himself had made no secret of his intention to follow through with his marriage to Angeli. Oh. He even took Anne along with him to pick out Angeli's engagement ring. Whoa. Acknowledging later in his 11th book, Kirk and Anne, I can't believe how insensitive I was. You think? <laughs> it came I to... can't believe that she was there. <laughs> wow. Well, Anne later determined to leave Douglas, and mm-hmm. he realized he was going to be lost without her. So Aww. he broke off his engagement on New Year's Day 1954, and he and Anne were married that May. In the interim, she let him know exactly where they stood considering his dalliances, and mm-hmm. he admits with more than a little regret, I was a bad boy. Uh-huh. But Anne knew how to handle me. And one way she showed that was before they were married, Anne invited all the women she knew he had slept with to a party for him in oh. Paris because she decided that having him was more important than having him to herself. Really? 
Really? So the only thing she demanded was that she hear about any straying from him up front uh, so she didn't have to learn about it in the tabloids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Anne left show business. And while Kirk continued acting and writing, they had two sons together, mm-hmm. Peter and Eric. But his own father's coldness sometimes strained his relationship with all of his boys, including Michael, who Douglas felt didn't like him much after he and Diana had divorced his his first wife. But when Michael started acting, they grew closer, particularly after Michael asked to produce a play that Kirk owned Mm -hmm. and had performed on stage called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, my gosh. But he could never get it off the ground as a film. So Kirk was pleasantly surprised when Michael quickly secured the financing and production, but was less than pleasantly surprised when Michael decided that Kirk was too old to play the lead. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So Kirk told the Guardian newspaper, I couldn't believe it. So I said, who's playing me. Jack Nicholson? Never heard of him. Well, <laughs> at least it's going to be a flop. Oh, oh my gosh. The um, the marriage between Anne and Kirk wasn't always perfect, of course. No Nothing marriage is. is. Mm-hmm. And the open arrangement created an odd dynamic. Mm-hmm. And in the book Kirk and Anne, Douglas wrote pretty openly, with Anne's permission, of course, mm-hmm. about his affairs with actresses like Rita Hayworth, Marlena Dietrich, wow. Christina Crawford. Uh, you, I mean, you he needed an encyclopedia. Oh, my for, for his little black book. Oh my gosh. And Anne's take on it all was that Kirk never tried to hide his dalliances from me. Mm-hmm. As a European, I understood it was unrealistic to expect total fidelity in a marriage. No, well, not... for maybe them. <laughs> for them and for certain Europeans. Yeah. But again, you know, a part of what we're trying to do is right. find a place where you agree in love. Right. And even though that lifestyle is one that we might not understand, we can learn to to understand it mm-hmm. through their through their eyes. Right. So for Kirk's part, he said he had a mother complex, explaining I constantly sought for women around me as a mother substitute. Well, his search was pretty comprehensive. <laughs> <laughs> You can hardly name a female actress from the mid-20th century that that Kirk Douglas hasn't slept with. In fact, he he once told his analyst that he thought he might be impotent after a rare disappointment the Uh night before. Uh And the doctor told him, you tell me you just had sex 29 nights in a row with different girls, and on the 30th you say you're impotent? You know... Even God rested after six days. <laughs> 63 years down life's wow. road together now. They've seen their share of unique compromises, mm-hmm. success, and celebration, and also weathered many storms together, including Anne's breast cancer, mm-hmm. Kirk's stroke, right. the overdose death of their youngest son, Eric, in 2004. Mm. For their 50th anniversary, they finally enjoyed that big lavish wedding they didn't have the first time around, and Anne oh. surprised Kirk by converting to Judaism before the ceremony. Wow, after 50 years? Mm-hmm. And Kirk had rededicated himself to the faith with his own second bar mitzvah three mm-hmm. years previous to that at the age of 83. Oh my gosh. The Douglases will celebrate their 64th wedding anniversary That's this so coming year on May 29th. Wow. And in a collection of poems and stories Kirk published called Life Could Be Verse, (laughs) he wrote a poem called Romance Begins at 80, proving that his love for Anne has only grown with the years. And he said, Romance begins at 80, and I ought to know I live with a girl who will tell you so. Whoa, oh, oh, when there's love, love, Love in the air, you should be.
Friends and Lovers brings you writing from storytellers across America who are chasing their own tales of love. <laughs> there's a lot to chase. There's, there's a lot to be said about love. I mean, look look at all those letters and poems and songs and lyrics over all those years. And people are still writing them. <laughs> We're there, not done yet. No, there's lots of love to talk about. So if you have some of that love, if you have a poem, a song, a story. A song lyric, a message in a bottle. Absolutely. Smoke signals. <laughs> smoke signals are hard to email. <laughs> but we want you to email the rest of it to us so that we can share it with the rest of the world. And to do that, you can send it to loveinamerica.us. And we'll chase that tale for you. <laughs> Let's all be chasing tales. Oh, that didn't come out right. There's <laughs> love. This episode's Friends and Lovers Narrative comes to you from Maria Rodale and is called Why I Love New York City. Some people have the mistaken perception that I don't like New York City. Nothing could be further from the truth. I love it. Allow me to explain. First of all, I feel like a New Yorker and New York feels like my city. My grandfather was born and raised on the Lower East Side in the Jewish tenements. My grandmother moved to New York from Pennsylvania at age 14 after she'd been orphaned. She worked at Schraff's as a waitress and met my grandfather in a dime a dance hall. After they made it, they bought a farm in Pennsylvania, which is where I was raised. But they always kept an apartment in the city, and it is still in the family today. In fact, the same doorman has been working in the building for at least 50 years. The other day I saw him out of uniform in Chelsea, and at first I thought it was a celebrity sighting. Some of my earliest memories are coming to New York with my grandparents and staying in that apartment. It's half a block from FAO Schwartz, Bergdorf Goodman, and the Plaza Hotel, and one block from Central Park. <laughs> What's not to love about that? I simply adore the Paris Theater and have seen many movies there over the years. And my children were raised reading Eloise. In fact, one of my children, whom I will not name here, actually thought she was Eloise. She now lives in New York City, uh, but definitely not at the plaza. I've been coming to the city for work for the past 25 years, 20 of them on the bus, the Bieber bus to be exact. Lately, I've been driving my Prius because I prefer the freedom of it. I have my own apartment now, in Chelsea, by the High Line and near Chelsea Piers, where I sometimes go to hit golf balls. There's even an organic soft ice cream truck a block from my apartment. Our offices are still in the same location, and I love nothing more than to walk the two miles, yes, walk, to and from the office usually listening to my music on headphones. I can't do that in Pennsylvania. Yes, there's culture, art, and all sorts of diversity in the city. And I love the creative energy and sense of freedom. I love walking by the Chelsea Hotel and remembering what Patti Smith wrote about it in her book, Just Kids. But most of all, I love the food options. I get lots of ideas and inspiration from dining in New York. And I love to try and replicate some of the tastes when I get home to my kitchen in Pennsylvania. I do not cook in my New York kitchen. Why would I when there is so much interesting food right outside my door? I also think New York offers unprecedented opportunities for craziness. 
When I was a kid, my gay brother, who died of AIDS in 1985, absolutely adored Bette Midler. <laughs> no surprise there. I also fell in love with her singing and crazy personality. So imagine how weird and wonderful it was that for the past 10 plus years, I've been on the board of Bette's New York Restoration Project and have helped to plant trees all over the city and have gotten to know Bette a little bit. Crazy, right? <laughs> Only in New York. I admire her and the kind of fame she has, but I don't crave it for myself. And I think that's where New York has a hard time with me sometimes. New York is a city of craving for fame and recognition and financial one-upmanship. And I don't have that hunger. I don't mind people who do it all. I just don't have it myself. Speaking of people, New York City is a great place to meet with people for business. Whether it's the book business, the magazine business, or the digital business. If people aren't already there, they're usually willing to come to New York. It's easy to meet for lunch or dinner or have a meeting. There is an energy and intensity around the gathering of people in Manhattan that is probably unprecedented in the world. To me, every place has a dark side, and New York's dark side is the thinking that it's the only best city in the world and more important than any other place. As a person who runs a business, a global business, and as a woman who has traveled around the world, I just don't buy it. Oh yes, I love New York, but I love lots of other cities too. I love Philadelphia for its passion for music, and I prefer to go there for concerts. I love Hamburg, Germany for the fact that people will sit in outdoor cafes, even in freezing weather, wrapped in blankets. I love Tokyo for the bright and colorful modernity and sense of fun. I love San Francisco for its determination to be different, even though it's not that different. I love Seattle for the crazy wonderful food that is underappreciated. I love Sydney for its sunshine and relaxed happiness. I love Melbourne for the smell of coffee and the brilliant tension between business and art. Paris is amazing for the scent of art everywhere and London for its history. I will go back to Reykjavik just for that amazing brown sugar that tastes like molasses. Dallas, it's chicken fried steak. Knoxville for its fried chicken. Nashville for its music, of course. Miami for the color of water at the beach. Los Angeles for KROQ. The world is a wonderful place and New York City is my second home. But Pennsylvania is home. I'm the kind of person who needs nature to survive. That's my hunger. And I love that Pennsylvania just knows that it's not the center of the universe. It's just a place where people live normal lives with plenty of parking for everyone. The truth is, that's what Rodale Inc. is built on. Trying to help people live healthier, happier lives, no matter where they are. For me, living out of Pennsylvania keeps me more connected to our customers and how they live. Our magazines and books are in more than 40 countries and I have a long list of cities I have yet to visit. So, New York, I love you. But you are not the only one. You are an important one, but not the only important one. I know that can be hard to hear, but I'm one of those people who speaks the truth, even when it's not popular. I know you don't like that about me either, but that's okay. I love you anyway. So 
So thanks for joining us this week for the Love in America podcast. Love in America is produced by Scott and Tony Burns in the Crooked Little House in Deadwood, South Dakota. (laughs) To learn more, visit our website at loveinamerica.us. Love in America and Tales from the Heart of America are distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. (laughs) And we are looking forward to sharing the love with you next time on... Love in America. (laughs) Hey, there's more to that story. (laughs) (laughs) There's always more to the story. (laughs) 